Hit the theme music, Bill. I'm back. Wait, we have theme music? No, we don't. Oh, is this, know, is this one supposed to... Do, am I supposed to fire up the Peaches and Herb, the Reunited? No, I meant like a cool wrestling entrance. All right, well, Peaches I, I, and I, Herb? I, That's how you I, welcome me back? Well, we're reunited, and it feels so good. Oh, my God. Podcast ain't played nobody. I'm back. Um, I probably am going to f- sound considerably more uh, vivacious. If someone can sound vivacious than I did on the last episode, it really was a bad idea to come in. I don't think you had had a guest co-host lined up yet, and I came in a couple days after my second son was born and uh, was also suffering from various ailments and apparently just drug ass through the entire podcast, so I apologize for that. I'm back. I'm functional, as functional as any father of two under three will ever be. Um, Bill, I have not touched. I have not turned over the first stone in the college football world. It kind of feels good. I have been uh, parenting my us off and I have been just neck deep in the world of ice hockey. So I was about to say, I, I have I a think lot this whole to contribute kid, to I think this whole kid world. thing is a big ruse for you just wanting to watch hockey for the last month. Yes, because I knew, one, that the eighth-seeded Nashville Predators would go to the Stanley Cup, then beat, sweep, sweep Chicago, beat St. Louis, and then beat the most physical team in the NHL and the Anaheim Ducks to go to the Stanley Cup. I knew that that was going to happen when I knocked my wife up ten months ago. Well, so that's what I'm saying. I haven't met the kid. I don't know that there's a kid. Oh, All I know real. those Instagram pictures have just been like, you know, random kids stolen from the hospital or something. I don't know. I, no, I, I'm just saying, I don't know. This kid was born with like a five foot wingspan. He's mine. He's a large, he's already, large person, Bill. And he's um, already committed to Ole Miss because his dad is such a homer. You, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. So we solicited questions because um, you've been plugging along with the previews. You had a massive package come out, um, the commissioner thing. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but we did our question solicitation before we went on the air. And the problem is our listeners are too cute for their own good. We actually <laughs> needed football questions, and everybody else wants to make a joke. Uh, our friend Billy Gamilla asked, uh, tweeted, uh, asking price when your kids are old enough to be recruited – Two days after my son was born, um, hanging out in the hospital, kind of just had that like super dad boredom, mom and baby are asleep, and I'm like texting and DMing with people, and I did send over his measurements to uh, Auburn offensive line coach Herb Hand. <laughs> I did let him know because uh, he was born, he's a very large, large baby, he's going to be bigger than his bigger brother, so I just, I gave Coach Hand the, um, I guess he gets sort of the first right in the living room. Okay. He, he gets to come in and recruit him early. Because he definitely, this is the left tackle of the future, folks. <laughs> yeah, he is large. He is much, uh, just a little bit larger than our, our daughter was, I will say that much. He's larger than a lot of people's dogs right now, to be totally honest. So, um, Bill, I have been, like I said, really out, out the game, okay? But uh, I noticed a couple things in the last 48 to 72 hours as I've begun to just sort of wade back into the warm, stinky abyss that is our company Slack. Um, one, <laughs> you hate West Virginia, and that's fine, Apparently, but I'm going to yeah. make you atone for that. Uh, and two, you have always you have built a brand in the offseason, Mr. Bill Connolly, on measured, informed assessment. Okay, which is the which is not necessarily the opposite, maybe the antithesis. And I think there is a difference in those words of the take, right? So in these long protracted periods of the off season where we really have nothing to talk about, not even spring football, not even signing day, truly nothing to speak of. You plug along, you march along with your preview. 
Yep. And even when a team is bad, a team is trending downward, or, or ma- magically trending upward, or a team is overrated, whatever, you're always very measured about it, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you understand the variables, and you understand more than most people, better than most in our industry, what you don't know. You know, you know what you don't know. Um, or you know, or wait, did I say that wrong? Yeah, you get what I'm saying. Sure, yeah, whatever. I open up the I open up the internet machine this morning <laughs> to this headline. As and by the way, I guess you've started the Pac-12 preview. The Arizona Wildcats are checking every box on the program collapse checklist. Yeah, Bill, you dropped a diss track on Tucson. <laughs> what happened? So, well, the title we, we we come up with good titles from time to time, not just when for Kansas previews. Um, but I mean, the the piece itself is you should rest assured. The piece itself is perfectly measured and points out that a lot of Arizona's problems last year were based on injury after injury, uh, and they have like eight games where they've got they're basically a coin toss. If they win four of them, they can get back to a bowl. Like it's not it's not all that bad on a micro level, but on a macro level. When you look at the win total going from ten to seven to three, and you look at um, Rich Rod kind of panicking and bringing in some new assistants that don't immediately bear fruit. And you look at a recruiting class that kind of fell apart. And you look at some transfers and everything else. If you're looking at a macro level, you think, wow, that program is, is hitting every stair on the way down the, uh, uh, down, the, uh, down the staircase. So, yeah, we'll see. Like, this is a, <laughs> quite obviously a very big year for Rich Rod because if he doesn't win, you know, a new athletic director might decide to bring in – uh, their own per- their own guy, but um, they, they do have a chance to rebound. They have like three quarterbacks who could be interesting and three running backs who could be interesting and a bunch of offensive linemen who all got starting experience because nobody could stay healthy last year and whatnot. Defense, still probably awful, but you know, if they can get back to having like a top 20 or 30 offense, they should at least make a bowl game and I got to figure if you can make a bowl, you're always safe at Arizona or you should be. Um, but... Yeah, the headline. Sometimes the headline's just there, and you got to take it, and you got to stick it at the top of your post to draw people in. Clickbait, clickbait. It's not good. I'm not gonna lie. They had a fun, warm thing going. I visited their campus. Uh, I think about, I've been on there twice since I've been with SB Nation. Um, I like Rich Rod a lot. Um, he is a raconteur. He is a storyteller. He's an amazing guy to hang out with. Um, I mean, his people are. West Virginia bootleggers. They're interesting people to talk to. He, he has maintained a certain like convivial, I don't know, de- detachment from college football as he's gone through all these crazy like crazy turns in his career. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so admiration for the guy aside, this is a uh, this is just a house made of glass or a castle made of sand. I don't know what you're. I mean, whatever. Um, they had a thing. They had so much momentum even inside their own conference where there was confusion at UCLA as some of the Mora like some of the Mora builds around like the early Brett Hundley time was not working and then USC was in such a mess that they were able to go into LA and recruit with a higher profile. They looked good in the South. They were like they had made really big strides in terms of on campus improvements. Um do you remember you remember Bill like four or five years ago when the Pac twelve was suddenly gonna, you know, become the next amazing Football right. conference top to bottom because they had dumped so much money in before the the weird rubber band backlash of the whole Pac-12 network thing. And they had Greg Byrne, who was, you know, everybody's favorite athletic director. He was a maverick. He was challenging the status quo inside the league, but he was also fighting directly with Larry Scott to make, you know, schools like Arizona receive as much money as possible. 
and it all just went away. It it feels like um, they have made they he replaced Jeff Castile with um, God, what's the guy's name? Is a defensive coordinator from Boise State, uh, Marcel Yates. Marcel Yates. I interviewed him last year, um, and it just hasn't it has not worked fundamentally. They have right. not. And- Go ahead. I mean, it, part of this is bad luck because, um, you know, in 2015, they had a, an experienced squad in 2014. Plus, they were kind of lucky in 2014. I mean, they were only 36th in S&P, but they, they won 10 games. They, they closed out some close games. They won the South, so that's fine. But it was a little bit, I remember writing at the time, like they were a little bit on the lucky side. They weren't like top 10 level good or anything like that. But they had a top 30 offense and a top 50 defense. They were reasonably well-rounded. Lost a ton of guys after 2014. And basically the one guy they couldn't afford to get hurt, uh, Scooby Wright, gets hurt immediately in 2015. Uh, and that was, a, that was a house of cards right there. The defense came just crumbling to the ground. They didn't have the experience level. Other guys got hurt. And so... I really kind of I understood him ditching Castile for the the young up and coming recruiter. I kind of just theoretically I understand why people make moves like that, but um, they probably would have bounced back this last year under Castile. But now they had to undergo some uh, some reasonable uh, scheme changes. Nothing too ridiculous. They still play five DBs most of the time and whatnot, but they still. It was, you know, it was new, and it was a guy who was not nearly, and Yates, a guy who was not nearly as experienced as Castile, and then, you know, the recruiting impact that he was supposed to have wasn't immediately able to bear fruit because they went three and nine, and so, yeah, it's been, they they, they have suffered a kind of a, a very abnormal number of injuries the last two years uh, but because of that, they have an experienced squad this year outside of the defensive front six anyway, and they could actually, they could rebound. It isn't too late. If they win those toss-ups, they're okay. I love Brandon Dawkins. Well, I love him running the ball at least. Uh, they've got, you know, last year it was, it was kind of a, a, a well, I, I was going to use the word comedy here because I'm not an Arizona fan, so it can be, but like they, um, uh, what's his name? Nick Wilson immediately comes in, uh, has a big game against BYU in the opener, gets hurt. Freshman J.J. Taylor takes over, has 260-something yards against Hawaii and Washington, gets hurt. Uh, offensive line, only two guys start all 12 games. Like, it was just constant. And they still had, like, a top 60-70 offense. So, yeah, it's not – again, it's like macro versus micro here. Um, you know, from you know, from a from a grand level, you can see, like, this is how programs fall apart. This is why – uh, you know, why, why I always say that hard jobs stay hard. This is why, because you don't have as much margin for error and, is, and, and you can't compensate when things go wrong as well. Uh, but they have a chance until he is fired. He has a chance to turn it around. I just, I, I don't know why this has to be a hard job though. Well, they're always going to be, well, now they're always going to be in a division with UCLA and USC. They're always going to have to, that's going to always be their major recruiting base. And, and, and if USC and UCLA are clicking there's really no other recruits to nab out of southern california so they always have to get a little resourceful they always it is going to be a little more tenuous they're never going to have the depth that their other division rivals are going to have so i mean i I understand it's a hard job relative to usc and having to play against usc but i also think this this could be a a formidable high mid-tier job in that league and i just i'm just always baffled as to why it's not arizona arizona state to me because of the appeal that they have there's growth in the state. There's money. In the, there's money that comes into the schools. Okay, so you have people migrating to the places like Phoenix and Flagstaff and Scottsdale, 
that doesn't necessarily equate instant football talent. Like, you know, you're not suddenly just like a Georgia or Texas or something, but you have, you do have Southern California and Hey, what's the old adage? Like, you know, USC and UCLA, well, they can only, they can only sign, you know, 22 or whatever. So, um, I think I've always assumed, and I, and the last couple of years I've spent a lot of time in the PAC 12 because it, it, it's interesting to me. Um, I've always assumed that Arizona would be an easier school to recruit to than Washington or Washington State or Oregon or Oregon State, Oregon notwithstanding as, as their own unique brand, but I guess I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, I thought one of the, the fun things I dug up for this pre- – well, I found it fun anyway uh, – for this preview was um, – so in the last 35 years, uh, this was kind of – 35 was kind of geared to favor Arizona because of the way their history has gone. But regardless, um, they, have, they have been in the top 10 for eight of those 35 seasons. That's more than over half the Pac-12, like – Stanford has only had eight. Uh, Cal has had six. Arizona State's only had five. Like that, like they 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 do a pretty good job of surging. Um, but of those eight times they were in the in the top ten, uh, they only finished in the top ten twice. And four times in that span, uh, they finished unranked. Like they, as soon as they hit some adversity, they completely collapsed. And so. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I think just maintenance, sustaining that level has been very hard for them over time. And, and you yeah. know, you make the right hires and you, you create the right support and the right facilities and everything, then that can always change. But it's so far gone exactly that way for Rich Rod. Mm, this is how we expected to start, by the way. We expected to start your podcast, your, your return podcast with 10 minutes on Arizona. No, I mean, look, all joking aside, it's kind of nice to get in and take some swings because it really has been yeah. – uh, I, I highly advise I, – I tell fans to do this all the time. I know that's it's contrarian logic for people who provide a weekly college football podcast 52 times a year. But it is nice to take a break. It lets your brain, I think, sort of like defragment. <laughs> but um, no, it, it's nice to just like start talking about schools. Cause I was having a casual conversation with someone who wasn't an infant lately and I do feel like rusty, but also refreshed. So Bill, I didn't get a chance to look at this West Virginia nonsense. Why do you hate them so much? <laughs> yeah, it's funny how, um, when I like a team, everybody, uh, all the fans say, I know what I'm talking about. And when I, I when I'm less, uh, high on a team than the conventional wisdom, uh, the previews get picked apart and my logic gets uh, put under the microscope. So, bastard. So, like, so th- one of the biggest things when I put out those projected S and P plus rankings right at the beginning of the preview series, where you know it was based on nothing but returning production and uh, recruiting and recent performance. Uh, so, the, those mid February things that we I think we reacted to at the time, one of the biggest like for the most part it always it usually makes sense at the top like hey look Alabama and Ohio State are going to be good who knew right but um one of the interesting pieces of those projections was was the fact that West Virginia was projected to be terrible um they were like something like a not nice 69th or something to that uh to that degree and so at the time, I thought, well, I'm looking forward to writing the West Virginia preview because that, that always fascinates me when a team skews that far, especially a team like West Virginia who didn't even get a bowl bump. Yeah. Um, that, like they got, they got whooped in their bowl against Miami. Like the, so so that it wasn't even something like that. So I, I you know, kind of dove into – I finally got to preview them last week. And I, uh, basically what I found is this is a very, very – depth versus star power kind of thing because basically everybody looks at West Virginia sees that they won what nine, 10 games last year I think 
um, sees Sky, uh, Will Greer and Justin Crawford in the backfield and thinks, hey, they're going to be awesome again this year. Well, maybe. Uh, you know, will, I will say, like, the one thing I'm trying to figure out with the projections, how to, how to incorporate them the best, is I, the projections don't take transfers into account. Yeah. Uh, I, the, the, the end of offseason projections do because I've been able to add their previous season data and everything to it. But it, in February, they just can't because I don't have a list of all the transfers and, and I haven't had the time to put that all together. So it do, it, basically what the, the numbers see is they lost Skylar Howard and they don't have any and they're going to replace him with just replacement level quarterback A. Um, and Will Greer is most likely better than that. But as we've said on this program before, A, Will Greer has had basically two good college games, and one of them was against New Mexico State. Obviously, he was a star recruit, and, um, you know, he has all the potential in the world. I understand that. But we are basing so much of, of our expectations of Will Greer on the fact that he torched Ole Miss that one time. Otherwise, his numbers and his numbers were fine. Like, his, his numbers were fine, but he still he had 6.7 yards per attempt uh, in 2015 with Florida before he got suspended for, uh, what, PED use, I guess. Um, which, by the way, I mean, if he's not using PEDs anymore. Um, anyway. Uh, he, but last year, Skyler I'm Howard... I'm not even sure how to... Uh, which no, joke I want to make associated with that. Yeah, no, I just, I'm going to move on. Uh, Skyler Howard averaged 7.3 yards per pass attempt with, uh, with West Virginia last year. So... Again, we don't know for sure how good Will Greer is going to be. Maybe he's amazing, but he doesn't have Dockiel's shorts to throw to anymore. He doesn't have Shelton Gibson to throw to. Uh, that was uh, by far West Virginia's best efficiency guy and best explosiveness guy. So you got Karan White, who was fine. You got Jovan Durant, or Duranty, I guess, who, whatever. He's fine. Uh, but you're going to be relaying on a couple of Juco transfers in the receiving core as well. And so... You know, you lost, what, uh, three or, I guess, three of your starting linemen, including a couple of all-conference guys. Mm -hmm. You've got Crawford. You've got Greer. Mm -hmm. I don't know who the hell else they have on offense. And then on defense, they lost their top three, all three starting uh, defensive linemen. They lost their their playmaking linebacker, Justin Arndt. They lost uh, Gerard Harper. They lost uh, Jeremy Tyler. And they lost basically every cornerback who played last year. So, yeah. So you a, hate a bunch them. Of, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, I hate them. Um, yeah, a bunch of new guys can come in. Dana Holgerson does a good job of, of, of reloading with JUCOs. He doesn't mind taking that route. He's done a good job of, of kind of sustaining things in that regard. Um, but they have, they have, they're reliant on so many new people last year, and, so or this year. This is one of those programs that's probably long overdue for some self-reflection because – in this cycle, last year it was that this was going that sixteen would be Holgerson's last year. He would get fired. Right. He wanted to go away. He was going to take the Houston job when Herman left. Like all of these, this was big talk for a long time. Right. They come out. They have a really good year. Uh, good for West Virginia. I don't know how you want to couch it. I don't think it matters. They had a good year. They still are West Virginia. They still are in the eastern side of the, you know, the far gone eastern side of the Big 12. They still have their West Virginia problems relative to competing in the Big 12. I'm curious how fast all that comes rushing back if they are fair to Midland this year, which is very possible. Um, which, what's funny to me is, um, like, I, I after the preview went up, I got a couple of responses to some degree of, I understand that your numbers are never going to like us and da 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 a year ago, I was saying West Virginia was underrated and doing okay. <laughs> like, what, 12 months ago? One year where you guys win 10 games but only rank 29th, and then you lose, like, two-thirds of your starters. 
Uh, now my numbers have forever hated West Virginia. Twelve months ago, I was saying they were better than people expected. But yeah. anyway, uh, you also had a piece that uh, surmised that the Big Twelve is going to be better as an overall product, which is very contrarian logic right now. There's nothing more popular than making fun of the Big Twelve. I love to do it. I literally build my summer travel. I start no matter what like feature I'm working for, working on for the college football preview. Um, I start by booking my travel to Big 12 Media Days, regardless of what's going on, because that is always the nexus of dumb, weird things in the Power Five, and will continue to be so. I mean, last yeah, year... Dumb and weird has not gone away, even if the teams get a little better. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I still... There's going to be a heap and help and a stupid, no doubt. Um, you know, last year it was like the the weird smokescreen around all the very serious Baylor conversation. Baylor announcing a new athletic director. They just, like, rented out a side room at the hotel in Dallas to announce... Um, Mac Rhodes, and then, you know, meanwhile, we're we're running around asking officials from the Big 12 whether or not there's any grounds or interest in them expelling Baylor, and the way to, I don't know, hide, circumvent all this was to just randomly tell everyone that they're thinking about expansion, but, of course, they weren't really thinking about expansion. So it was an awesome, awesome three days. It was, it was as fun as you could ask for a media day's event, because most of them are just terrible, terrible experiences. Um, the Big 12 always, so they're, they're filled with stupidity and fun, and, and, you know, we're now, I don't want to talk too much about this, because I think my first thing back next week is going to be trying to explain out how this Oklahoma realignment hysteria has started and why there's a little validity to it and why we, we're using old 2000, sort of six two 2007 logic to predict that Oklahoma would leave the Big 12. I don't want to talk about all that right at the moment. I do want to talk about the fact that you think that they're going to be better. Numerically, you think they're going to be better, or, or better than they were. Better better right. being a deceptive term, not necessarily competing with the SEC or the Big 10. But, hey, by the way, totally forgot until I started looking over stuff this morning. They have a championship game this year. Ugh. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, that was some good build disgust. I tried to cap myself at about five references to how stupid that is uh, in these previews and in the Big 12 power rankings piece. But yeah, basically the premise here uh, with the Big 12 is that Texas was crazy young last year. Yes. TCU was crazy young last year. Okay, and this is what I wanted to ask you about. I don't. Let's not talk about Oklahoma. Let's not talk about the league. Let's not talk about realignment. Here's my interest. Mm -hmm. Two, three, four, and five is your tier two. Oklahoma State at number two, number three. Oklahoma's number one. Uh, Number two, Oklahoma State. Number three, Texas. Number four, K-State. And number five, TCU. All four of these programs to me are insanely interesting and are entering this year. Their mid-tier is more interesting interesting to me than any other conference's mid-tier because I feel like the Big 12's mid-tier has the most room to move up because there's only one team in the top tier of the big 12. Cause there's right. only 10 teams in the conference. There's a, uh, you know, with all the, with all the volatility that goes on around the, like on and off the field, that usually means that you, you kind of have a wide canvas to work with like TCU, K state, Texas, Okie uh, state. If any of them are in the playoff conversation, I'm not shocked. I'd be a little shocked, but yeah, no, they, playoff, they're not that far. Playoff right. conversation being like, uh, in the conversation, first three rankings. How's that? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, um, you know, it, they all have their own issues. But, I, I, I mean, and all Big 12 defenses, I was tweeting about this this morning. Like, I've been a big 
for a, for like a decade, going back to like 07, 08, I, I was big into the whole, anybody who says Big 12 defenses suck, um, in a lot of ways, there is kind of the lazy yards per game analysis. Like, hey, they're giving up 30 points a game. They're terrible, you know, instead of pointing out that Big 12 dry, uh, games have like 17 possessions in them each and instead of like 12 for the Big 10. So, yeah, like that's always been kind of a thing I've pushed back on. Last year, the Big 12 defenses all kind of sucked. Like they had a good bowl season. Uh, they were all wretched in September, in non-conference play in September. Um, so the best uh, the best Big 12 defense last year, I believe, was West Virginia. It's something like 37th in defensive S&P+. Plus. So... So yeah, part part of the reason why the Big Twelves, uh, the Big Twelve as a whole, should expand this year or expand. Sorry, <laughs> wrong topic. Oh, should uh, should improve this year. Boy, that was just like reflex talking right there. Like Big, Big Twelve, say the word expand now. Um, part of the reason the Big Twelve should improve this year is because the bar is very low. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like Texas was crazy young, and if Charlie Strong were still on the job, and I, I. I accept that he didn't deserve another year. That's fine. But I'm, but even if they had kept him, they were probably going to improve by a decent amount this year. Um, improving at head coach, and, and theoretically they just did that, they can improve even more. But um, no, like they, they were pretty much guaranteed to improve. TCU is pretty much guaranteed to improve with what they bring back. So starting quarterback, starting running back, all receivers, all, almost all offensive linemen, uh, almost all linebackers and DBs. They got a couple pieces to replace up front on on the defensive line, but they're in very good shape to improve. Okay, Oklahoma State. No, I'm go. sorry. Go, I was going to ask about K State. So let's do Okie real fast. Okie State. Um, Okie State's biggest thing is like even when they're really good, they they take a while to get there. So like if they are November, October, November, Oklahoma State this year, they're going to be awesome. They re- they return most of their front seven. They return may- one of the best receiving cores in the country. The OSU fans will tell you it's the best. I you know maybe, but regardless, they got James Washington, they got McCleskey and Seals or not Seals, uh, Chris Lacey. They got Marcel Aitman back. I'd completely forgot about Mar- for- forgotten about Marcel Aitman. Uh, Justice Hill exploded late last year in the run game. Uh, they've got, they might have the best offense in the country. Their defense, the secondary could be, is, is a potential issue, but regardless, they've got a lot going for them. And then K-State, um, I, they, they return, the best way I can put it is they return all the, the experience that a K-State team typically needs to return. So what I was going to say is like you talk about, so Texas and TCU improved by default because of their talent right. talent right. relative to They return on such a level of production that you're almost guaranteed to improve. Yeah. And given the, their ability to recruit and what they've had, that yeah. So everything leads us to naturally say they will improve by default. Oklahoma State, separate case. K-State, they don't really ever reload so much as they just perpetually refurbish, you know? They're right. like, they're, they're like the, the appliance that you buy that had a little bit of water damage, but now it's actually been so carefully re, you know, fixed that occasionally you can have an overperforming machine, which is the best way I can describe when they're successful. Is this that year in which they have the combination of the right JUCO rollover, the right in-house development, and then that, man, I don't want to say luck, but... Uh, um, Good close game execution. Situational probability. Um, I mean, I, I really don't think it's luck, but I do think they get put in great situations sometimes in league play that they're able to capitalize upon. This okay. is the year they get TCU and Oklahoma at home, yes. Okay, um, thank you. And Baylor. So for a couple of years there, that was like the best home slate possible. Now, Texas, if they really are top 20 good, they do have to go to Texas. And although, you know, Kansas State never loses to Texas. 
uh, they do have to play at Oklahoma State. But they're in a good position where, like, if the if the league championship ends up being like a three, no, sorry, God, not the league championship, the two teams that end up in the whatever if 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 seven and two will get you into the big 12 title game this team could be seven and two because they well i mean among other things this might be the best run game that they've had since bill snyder returned uh like even when um uh when klein was running the show in 2011 12 they didn't really have a great running back but this uh, alex barnes kid uh, could be incredible. Uh, he he exploded late last year. Ended up like he didn't really play a role until late in the year. He ended up averaging seven point eight yards per carry. Um, and, and they've got Sil- uh, Justin Silman and Dalvin Warmack. They and, and most of the last year's offensive line is back. Like this, they once the running game got going late last year. This Byron Pringle guy, six um, two receiver, suddenly was catching thirty yard bombs. You know the the play action based on that. Once they get you on a string, once they can re- run that QB, that zone read with Jesse Ertz being an underrated running back at quarterback and having Barnes at running back. Um, once they get that going, they'll they know exactly when to when to throw that bomb. And so this offense really might be absurdly good um, if Barnes is as good as I think he's going to be. Defense, like they lose Jordan Willis, they lose Elijah Lee. Um, that's that could be a problem. Like they return just about everybody else on the on the line. They get Will Geary back. Reggie Walker was really good as a freshman opposite Willis. But that's the one thing. Like they've got an experienced secondary. They should be fine in terms of that bend don't break style that they they have kind of mastered since uh, Snyder's return. Um, but they were disruptive up front last year, and that was kind of a key to them winning nine games. And so that's the one question I have. If they are, if, if Walker is ready to kind of be Jordan Willis, then they've got everything they need. They're going to have a killer offense. They've got just enough defense to take advantage of mistakes when you get impatient. Uh, but that's the one thing for me. I, I tricked you. Here's why. Uh, I want to talk about Kansas State in that if this is one of those years, which we kind of feel like it is, you kind of have to talk about Snyder's term ending. Well, I, I was talking about that last year when they were struggling. So, well, I think it's almost more likely now if he if he would leave them in a in a not overachieving but a more functional place. So, if this is a ten win Kansas State team, regardless of what's going on, I mean, I, I'm not trying to be ageist. Or it, you have to talk about Snyder potentially stepping down at any point at this time, and I do think he's going yeah. to be the anti Spurrier in that he's going to find a way to gracefully exit. You know, we sort of know he wants to install his son in there. That may not work. You know, I don't want to get into the whole like Venables, Jim Levitt thing, but. um, Well, I think that's a big piece of it though. Like if he thinks he can just hand the baton to his son, then he would definitely leave. But if that's not guaranteed, I don't know. But since you mentioned that, like the, the cancer thing that popped up in February, this little nagging cancer thing that an 80 year old man was able to still work like 40 hours a week uh, while battling cancer and driving to Kansas city. uh, However often Um, they had like, that was the, that's the biggest red flag. This team has all the things that Bill Snyder team needs, but the red flag of maybe him not working as many hours, maybe him uh, taking it a little easier and whatnot. Like maybe he has the staff in place and the, and the team leadership in place to where it really is like, it'll continue to function as a Bill Snyder organization without him being Bill Snyder entirely. Yeah. But that's still, that's still concerning. That's still, you know, this could be one of those things where suddenly that this is a Kansas state team that makes a lot more mistakes than normal. Um, And he, and he bows out after going like six and six and disappointing, but 
Yeah, we'll see. So Bud Elliott will tell you stories. Anybody at Florida State will tell you stories that like when Jimbo got the job job uh, after being the in waiting OC, he like immediately went about modernizing the program. There was just like all these issues, right? They didn't have a training table. They their basically like their strength and conditioning program was like woefully inadequate. All this stuff that when you found out about in the press after the fact, right. you could then go back and say, okay, well, that attributed to the attrition and the decline. Same thing with, like, scandal aside, you know, the Penn State guys, I'm sure I've told this anecdote on the podcast before, Penn State's coaching staff was telling me, like, we had to go back and figure out how to get, like, stuff off of VHS. Right. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, were you looking at tape from, like, 1998? And they're like, no, 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 like, 2007. So the reason I bring that up, this isn't that situation. This K-State thing is going to be different. If he leaves, yeah, he's going to leave on his own terms, much like uh, you know Bowden did and Paterno didn't. But I don't think he's going. I don't think the next person in there is going to walk in and have to say, "God, this is all so luddite. I need to blow it up and redo it." Because if anything, people are still completely terrified of the Ron Prince problem. So um, <laughs> he could leave on his own terms, leave a healthy program on its own terms, and leave it to function and thrive, which is just really gives the Sun Theory some credence. I also bring it up because I think that of the jobs in the in the Big Twelve right now, if there's anyone to watch, we didn't really do this. Um, we didn't really. We've mainly been in the G five, and and the AAC is so volatile anyway. In terms of looking at jobs that could open this year, as we now are in the in the Power Five portion of your preview, um, the 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 red flag here is obviously Texas Tech. We haven't talked about yeah. that yet. Baylor gets a you know Matt Rule gets a total grace year. I think Holgerson's going to be fine if they're if they're floating a game or two above 500. I think some questions will persist, and it's a really interesting culture there in, in terms of what they want to be and who they are. It kind of reminds me of the same existential deal that Arkansas has had since they joined the SEC. Similar situations of feeling far flung and not feeling like they're you know they know where they rank and kind of who they are, what their expectation level should be. Kansas State is probably the biggest job I think that could potentially that would anything would happen. Um, and it's not because I think they're going to have a bad year. It's just because you have to talk about an 80-year-old head coach that way. Yeah, what is he, 77 or something? Yeah. What is he? He's, yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, so uh, Texas Tech, I don't want to linger on it too much. Um, they are what they are. Uh, my boy David Gibbs, he's, he's still plugging. Um, <laughs> this is the job that opens. This is the job that um, – it may be the likeliest opening in the Power Five this year. Can you think of one off the top of your head? Uh, I mean, a lot of people want to tell me Tennessee, but I'm I'm telling you right now that that's not the case at the moment, and it may not be the case at all this year unless there's a sub 500 type implosion. I just I really don't see that happening. Um, one of our listeners, Adam Luckett, at Adam Luckett B O S. Um, by the way, he confused first names for me and Bill, so we had a fun time with this before we went on the air. What will it take for Kirby to cut Kingsbury this year? Bill and I read that as Kirby Smart. Literally stabbing. Yes, we read that as literally stabbing Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, who the hell do they go to if it happens? Air raid again, question mark. Neil Brown, question mark. Neil Brown, the head coach of Troy. Um, I do think they cut Kingsbury. I do think that this phase is ending. Um, I would feel confident in telling you that there's an offensive coordinator at the University of Oklahoma, who went to Texas Tech, who's from the area, who would be extremely interested in that job, a, a great fit for that job. All right, and just sit. If if I was putting down money, that's where I would put down a lot of money. 
How's that? Okay. Um, so I was looking at potential other firings that might be more likely than Kingsbury. Um, what you got? He might be number one. I mean, you've got Hugh Freeze in that weird situation. Oh, which yeah. I, mean, I, don't, the hell knows. I don't know if I, I don't know if I count that because it has nothing to do I, with on field. Right. Well, yeah. And, and it, well, it might soon have something to do with on field. We'll see. But, um, I think the coordinator hires Brian Kelly made will be enough to save him. Um, especially since I think Jack Swarbrick's just kind of yeah. a more patient guy anyway, but we'll see. I mean, that's obviously, he's obviously on the list. Um, Sumlin and Mora are perpetually on the list. I mean, uh, honestly, Todd, I think Rich Rod might be it. Well, right. Rich Rod, I mean, that's, you know, like, yeah, it's quite conceivable Rich Rod's on the list. Um, Todd Graham, who I'll talk about tomorrow, uh, I, I, I'm guessing he survives, but he's another one that has to go on the list because he struggled the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, Bielema? <laughs> um Man, let me tell you something. I haven't even pitched this to Jason yet. Um, Jason Kirk, our college football editor over at Shutdown Fullcast. I haven't even pitched this yet. I want to go to Arkansas and just hang out. <laughs> They're so interesting. They, once Every three or four years, Arkansas becomes the most fascinating college football program in the country because of the existential dread and <laughs> self-doubt. And, yeah, like he's done a really solid job. Right? We could say that, especially from what he inherited and what he wanted to turn that football program into. He's done a really solid job. I feel like he that's needs, inarguable. He needs one of those years where they win all the close games. He has not had that yet. Um, and they have a ton of close games. I mean, that's just that's the way it's going to be when you're in that division and you've got a decent level of talent and all that. But he has to have one of those years where he goes like 5-1 and one in one possession games. They haven't had that, so they're perpetually okay. By the way, but, uh, this coach's hot seat ranking, do you still Oh, my God. I, I wasn't going to say anything. I pulled it up it's just hilarious. to make sure I wasn't forgetting anybody. Yeah, this is hilarious. This is terrible. This is so terrible. They have the top 30 in, like a, in, the, in the front that, you know, the, basically is the lead content on the website. They have Chad Chief Morris not on, on there. Chad Morris? Yeah, Chad, Barry Odom uh, is in his second year in Missouri, and he's 21 on the list. Kingsbury's um, 18 on the list. Uh, Chad Morris is 22. There are ADs lined up around the country. Um, SMU just had to sign him to an extension. Yeah. Well, Tony Sanchez, we talked about how good a yeah, job Tony he's doing. He's 23. UNLV has total faith in a guy who's from, who came from Bishop Gorman High School down the street from UNLV. They're about to, they're about to share a new stadium with the Raiders in a couple years. Like, dude, they're in as much as you can be in college football invested in that dude in the long, for the long run. Um, you know, I'm trying to think if there's any other crazy ones I see on here. I mean, I like, I get that Lovey Smith is on the list, but also... It's been a year. And it's been a year. And the I didn't guy, like to he, hire, he, but it's you know, been a year. Well, and the guy, I mean, the new AD there, like, went out of his way, like, to find his guy. He's not, yeah, he's not a really he's not strange list. Uh, Butch Jones is higher than 14th, I'm guessing, even I, if he's not, yeah. like, number one. Yeah. Kirk Kingsbury's, like, top five, not not 18. Rich Rod's top five, not 15. David Beatty's uh, on here at number 10. David Beatty's in absolutely no trouble whatsoever. They've uh, well, he should, he should be in a little trouble if he doesn't uh, improve this year. But no, they have, based on the situation they went through with Charlie Weiss, they specifically have, I mean, they gave Beatty the, the non-scandal version of the Baylor understanding. Like, this this is a from-the-ashes rebuild. Uh, Matt Wells is on this list. I know that Utah State had a bad year last year, but Matt Wells' name popped up, has been popping up everywhere for the last three years for D1, or FB, yeah, Power 5 jobs. Sorry, I'm rusty. 
Yeah, I don't know how this list is compiled. We shouldn't give it that much attention, but um, Chris yeah, Ash, deserved. Uh, yep. So, you know, Sumlin being number four, I don't know. We'll see this year. Mora makes a hell of a lot more sense in the top five to me than someone does. But anyway, instead of picking on a website, I will say. But by the way, uh, Kansas, since we're talking Big Twelve, yeah, um, we did come up with another pretty good uh, headline for for the Kansas piece. Uh, you know, not quite as good as uh, Kansas will get fresh air and exercise, but uh, Kansas Kansas Jayhawks Hawks football has a chance to be not terrible in 2017. I will say. This is the year we learn if David Beatty can actually coach. Okay. Um, we have not learned that yet. Their talent deficit has been so atrocious compared to everybody else. Right. That they just haven't had any sort of fair playing field for learning if he can coach. But now he's got his choice of a couple okay quarterbacks, uh, potentially much better receiving core, maybe the best defensive line in the Big 12. Uh, Secondary is rebuilding. Uh, the linebacking core may or may not be anything worth writing home about. But regardless, they now have enough talent – to, um, well, to beat Texas Tech at home, to beat either Baylor or Kansas State or West Virginia at home. Um, they, they should be expecting to go to win three or four games this year. Um, and if they go two and 10 again, he really might not be able to coach. So, speaking of not being able to coach really for, for reasons that aren't exactly true or earned, um, Texas has to play UFC in the first month. Yep. I'm going to be really interested to see what the reception to Herman is once he takes an L, because it's coming. Well, I know. That's what, we've talked about this before. Like, as soon as, maybe not USC, but if they lose to both USC and uh, Oklahoma, or they don't dispose, like, that at Iowa State game um, right after USC, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like Iowa State a good amount. Like, that'll be our super tricky game. But, yeah, we, we already know how this works. The moment they the struggle Thursday against somebody. Game, by the way, Bill. Nice. I the moment they struggle with somebody night. more than they're supposed to, we're going to hear about how, how his shtick isn't working at a big school. Mm-hmm. I mean, never mind that he's coached at Texas and he's coached at Ohio State. Um, that's We know that's where this goes. And I this is a, uh, that's where I always get the most just frustrated in general. Like when we can see the narrative coming and then we let it happen anyway, even though it's stupid. Uh, we know that's where this is going to go. And, I'm going to tell you right now, this is the most beautiful schedule in the world for Texas Texas angst. This is the single best constructed schedule the entire season. Let me tell you why. You guys thought, by the way, we were only going to sit here and talk about K-State and Kansas and Texas Tech. I buried the lead. Texas' schedule. All right? I'm going to go through this and explain to you why this is the most interesting schedule in college football. Now, I have a weakness for looking at for, – for just sort of loving – the, the weird Texas drama anyway as just a big body soap opera of the state of Texas. They start with Maryland. That's a team they're more talented than in every phase. Okay? But that's also a team with Durkin, another kind of young rah-rah motivator mold guy uh, off of the Harbaugh side instead of the Meyer side. That's going to be a really interesting game. They're going. It's. I'm not predicting Maryland to upset them at all. I'm just saying that there's going to be a point in that game in which Maryland does something that Texas, Texas has a large conglomerate of like super booster fans thinks that this shouldn't be done to Texas. Okay, and they may put a scare into them for like a quarter or two. Okay, so that's going. That's going to set the stakes. They're going to be fine against San Jose State, who has a new head coach. That's fine. Then they go and they play on Fox. That game's almost certainly going to be like prime time at USC. All right. I think they're going to lose that game. Then they have a week off in which they stew on it. Then they have a Thursday night weird game against weird Iowa State in which the 
the same thing is probably going to happen as will happen against Maryland. They're going to win. They're not going to look exceptional doing it. They're still going to be working out some kinks. And the anxiety and dread is just going to build. So now you have a 3-in-1 Texas that's filled with existential dread. Existentialism, by the way, is today's word of the podcast. Now, Bill, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and then at Baylor, the team that and you actually – And at TCU. At, well, I was going to finish with TCU, but the at Baylor to me is the bigger deal because so K-State at home, right? K-State couldn't beat them. Oklahoma and Red River right now, Oklahoma should win that game. All right? Okie State at home. Okie State right now, certainly a more put-together, consistent team. All right? And then you got to go to Baylor, which your fans are still just apoplectic about, even though that Art Barles is now long gone and it's somebody else's reign. Nobody talks about Baylor more than Texas fans. Oh, my God. Yeah. If one or two of these things goes wrong in any way, shape, or form, okay, those weird, ugly wins early against Maryland or Iowa State and or any loss – to Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, or Baylor, or especially Baylor, then you have to finish the year against TCU. Uh, and, you know, it's 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 kind of a scrub cleanup thing after that. But, you know, let's say you well, lose. At West Virginia in the middle, though. I mean, yeah, they'll beat Kansas and Texas Tech at home, but at West right. Virginia isn't a gimme, obviously. See, see, West Virginia fans, I like you. <laughs> see, I feel no, like this- I, I don't know. That, that's not what I'm focusing on that. But the damage may be done at that point because this is right. a Texas team that could easily have three losses going into the first week of November. And then oh, where they should have three losses. They should be expected to have three losses. Oh, um, no, back up, Bill. Say that sentence again. Well, they, at USC, at Iowa State, Oklahoma and Dallas, at Baylor, and then yeah. at TCU to start the month. I mean, that's this team went five and seven last year. Um, yeah, they, let, they, let me tell you something right now. If they have three losses leaving uh, M&G Carter Stadium in the Fort Worth, Texas, beautiful town, by the way, um, that's going to be considered a disaster. Which is funny because, I mean, they're projected, S&P has them, like, I have them projected 16th, but still only going 8-4. and four. Like, that, you know, that the bar is really funny, but I, I do, the one thing about Tom Herman that I really, I'm going to enjoy this year, for a lot of the reasons you were just talking about, there is absolutely, seeing how they uh, performed last year, or the last two years, at Houston as underdogs. Mm-hmm. This there is absolutely a scenario on the table here where they drub Oklahoma, win at USC, and lose at Iowa State and Baylor. And I'm mm-hmm. rooting so hard for crazy ass Texas to make a giant appearance this year. Oh, but so I, we're just so you're just you're like taking the Houston skin and just applying it to Texas. Right, that's what I want because this is the only year. I wrote this in the in the power rankings piece today. This is the only year where. Uh, Tom Herman gets to be an underdog at least a little bit. Now, not completely, obviously. Well, let me tell you, the, the scenario then is is seven and zero Texas going to McLean Stadium and losing by twenty. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if if we're applying the Houston skin, absolutely. But no, I mean that's we know that they're talented enough to technically beat USC if he's pushing the right buttons and he has them motivationally in the right place. We know they can beat Oklahoma. They did with Charlie Strong a couple years ago, and you were there. Yeah. Uh, but we know that Houston took its eye off the ball sometimes. They didn't play as well as a favorite as it did as an underdog. And I mean, granted, they were an underdog or they were a favorite about 80, 90 percent of the time. But they still they did take their eye off the ball at times last year while absolutely bringing a home run swing against Oklahoma and Louisville. So, yeah, it's on the table that they beat USC and Oklahoma and lose to Iowa State. And I would be so that, that would be so much there would be so much entertainment derived from that. So this, so essentially, what we've decided is that Texas is honky Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame for Protestant Republicans. 
That's what it is. Okay. Well, no, right, we'll I mean, it's, it's the one program in America with a near national following. They have their own network. And absolutely nothing is ever good enough. And the world is always ending even unless it's not. And you better win everything or else it's ending again. I mean, that's that's what we're saying, right? We're applying the same the same structure of criticism that we give Notre Dame, deservedly so, to Texas. Okay. Well, we are. We're, we're sitting here laughing about the expectations being completely out of whack, the inconsistency that they've had underperforming as a national brand, and how it's super fun to sit and laugh about when that when that you know disconnect of expectation and talent when they meet up and they lose you know one or two games that's that's how we talk about Notre Dame. Yeah, and that's I mean that's me. that's why it, it it fit that they played each other last year. Still a good game. I don't care if it was two five and seventeen. It was a great football game. Um, Bill, I'm gonna get throw you a uh, I'm gonna throw you an inside fastball real fast. Um, Sunbelt divisions were announced. Did you see anything that did you see anything that bothered you other than the fact that they're divisions and then they're going to have a conference title game? I, I'm I'm okay with that. So I said this on the way of bringing up uh, roundabout bringing up that the Big Twelve also has a title game again, so I can get pissed about that. Yeah, that? no. Uh, well, it's funny because so that is a exceptionally bad idea, and we're going to devote a lot of time to the fact that they're probably going to play Bedlam two weeks in a row. Um, all right, did they move Bedlam back? Fact check. Um, no, it's it might have been moved back one week. It's right in the middle of October. Oh, oh Bedlam, Bedlam. Not, Bedlam, not Red River Bedlam. Yeah, no, Bedlam is uh they is did. beginning they moved of it back on purpose. Yeah, over, yeah, yeah okay. they moved it back. Yeah. All right. It's specifically, Sorry, I got I, I got my rivalries mixed up there for a half second. I am a failure as an Oklahoman. So Bedlam, uh, the last couple of years has been played that first week of December while the other conferences had their championship games. It has been knocked all the way back to November fourth, uh, and it will be in Stillwater. So they won't have Bedlam played twice, even though it looks like I think Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are gonna. They're still gonna play each other, you know, two times in five weeks, which is pretty stupid. Um, the reason why I want to bring the Sun Belt up thing, Sun Belt thing up, they did it right. If you're gonna do it, at least they did it right. And I also think that for however long as we're going to have these G five conferences before they just start to implode under the the bubble bursting with TV money, this is actually don't, like don't a, hurt me like that. Well, don't I mean, hurt me. Sorry. I mean, it's probably going to happen. I mean, Cuse is, is a dead man walking. That's a topic for another show. Um, this is as this is the way you do it because this fosters, I think, budding really strong rivalries and makes people care and gives them stakes. So in East Division, Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, and Troy. So right off the bat, you have Georgia Southern gets their two biggest rivals, and that's App State from the old days and Georgia State from the new day. You get a really good Troy program that can play – Games that are against teams that are going to be relatively close to them all the time. You don't know, Coastal Carolina and App State, I probably need to work to foster something there, but it can happen. Um, Troy, I think as long as Troy keeps up series against, like, you know, USA, and I'm, I don't know if they're going to do cross-permanent. Anyways, the West is Arkansas State, South Alabama, Texas State, and then the two ULs, Lafayette and Monroe. Um, this is good. This is strong. This is the way it should. Yeah, be. I mean, the only question here was: Is Troy going to? Or Troy, how are you going to break up Troy in South Alabama? Otherwise, right. this was a pretty, pretty much a no-brainer on how to how to break these up. Um, I think yeah, South I, Alabama and UAB signing that deal, and I think Troy is moving towards a deal with one of those schools as well, or an outside school. I don't know if it, Troy and South Alabama not as much natural history. I've talked about on the podcast before. Georgia State 
some of the maneuvering they did to get at the Sun Belt before Georgia Southern, some some politics in that state, they don't like each other. Um, it makes sense to obviously put them together. Um, you know, you 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 keep ULL and ULM. Uh, ULM Arkansas State has is a thing. ULL Arkansas State is a thing. Um, Who's the ULL, by the way? I've never heard of ULL. Oh God. So when I retweeted Ralph, our friend Ralph Russo at the AP, he had this news. I retweeted it. My phone exploded. Keep in mind, Bill, like I'm not checking my phone as much. I'm on paternity leave. I'm like I was doing dishes or something. And it was all people from the state of Louisiana that are either officially associated with LSU on staff or just big fans or whatever saying who the various expletive is Louisiana. That's how dumb this this nomenclature battle has gotten. Oh, it's gloriously dumb. It's so stupid. Um, I love so, it, but so, it is so stupid. So as far as far as the Sun Belt division goes, like just as a um, as a as a value, I, I do not like five like ten team conferences splitting into divisions of five. It makes at least. I hear more sense here because I do not believe they play nine conference games. So, so technically, you're not going to play everybody in the other division. So, th- in theory, we're not guaranteed a rematch. It's still kind of dumb. It's mm-hmm. the, the the idea of a conference title game with ten teams is dumb in general. They need to add two more damn teams. But, um, but whatever. Like if you're gonna do it. At least they don't play everybody in perfect round robin, and they did it about as well as you could. They, like I said, the only question here is whether you could have had South Alabama in the East and Troy in the West. Didn't really matter, um, but that yeah, I mean they they you, you've got all the the major rivalries there accounted for. Yeah, I mean it's just look. It, it, there are more natural storylines between schools in this conference than any other in the G five. Safe to say. Yeah. You might have some in that central area of the Mountain West, and that's about it. But even then, I think you're pushing it. By the way, uh, as I argue on Twitter while podcasting, uh, <laughs> let me just address all of the. Uh, Excuse me. Bless you. Let me let me address all the Big Twelve fans who are suddenly jumping into my mentions to point out how awesome the Big Twelve was in bowl games and how oh, good their defenses God. were and how that proves that their defenses weren't terrible. Um, A congratulations. B we're talking about like five or six bowl games uh, as opposed to 30 non-conference games in uh, September that also count. And C we're talking about goddamn bowl games. Yes, so let's sure. stop. Uh, they were there. Congratulations for being pretty good in the bowls. That's, that's a good thing. And that hurt, that helped their numbers that it did. It like their numbers went up after the bowls. Great. Uh, still the worst co- power conference in the country. Still the worst defensive power conference in the country by far. Deal with it. Anyway, how about a real football question? I said, "God damn!" By the way, that came out of nowhere. That just yeah, like fine. flew right out of I my mouth. I wasn't going to say anything about it. Earmuffs, earmuffs, earmuffs to everybody. I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, uh, listener Nick, I'm gonna let's see if I can stick the landing on this last name. Uh, let's go with Juskowitz. Um, J U S K E W Y C Z. I'm gonna go with Juskowitz. Uh, Miami has never made the ACC championship. They're zero and twelve. While Michigan has never made the Big Twelve championship. Or, sorry, Big Ten championship game. Or, or uh, Big Twelve. Or Big Twelve. Uh, they're zero for six. Who makes it first? Uh, Michigan. I don't think My, they're going to well, make it this Miami. year, but uh, I, I, I mean, I think they're going to get their their stuff together before Miami does. I think Miami is really close to getting its stuff together, and they're in the ACC Coastal as opposed to the Big Ten East. So I'm going to go Miami. Really. 
Well, it's, I mean, what? So that means they're better than Virginia Tech in a given year, and then the the amalgamation of North Carolina and Georgia Tech and all that. Mm. I think that's a much more direct path. I mean, I mean, they could do it this year. If you think about just the next two years, Michigan is kind of starting over a little bit this year. They'll be fine. A little bit. Uh, but they're only going to be like top 15 or 20 this year probably and they still have ohio state and penn state and michigan state and well okay we'll stop there because rutgers and maryland but um but that if we're just thinking of it like in the next two years i think miami has an infinitely better shot of doing it than michigan does and after that whatever but um no i'm 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 i will ride hard for miami in that scenario and not just because my manny diaz was on the show last week oh that's right Throw out everything you just said. It's about ethics and gaming journalism, Bill. Um, I forgot all about that. You and your dirty, oh, it's dirty you didn't favoritism. Listen. I didn't you, listen because I had a child. I created life. Yeah, a quote-unquote child. You were watching hockey. That's possible. Um, there's not a ton of actual... Um, I mean, we kind of touched this on, the, on this already, but just to look at the meme head on, um, at YellMK, Y-E-L-L-M-K, says, uh, Big 12 defenses suck. What would it take stat-wise, anecdotally, non-conference results for that stigma or reality to change? And then he <laughs> says, who misses the MWC? And raises his hand. I guess he just means that as a, he's a, a TCU fan, judging by his avatar. Right. You don't miss the so- Mountain West Conference? Don't be an idiot. So, uh, you know, as the official Big 12 defensive suck person now, let me just point out that uh, they've sucked for two years. Yes. Um, in 2014, Big 12 had like three teams and I think the top 20 or 30 of, of defensive S&P Plus. Like, they, it's not normal for defenses to be this bad in the Big 12. But it is. They are at the moment. So, basically, you, do, you need TCU to actually have some semblance of continuity on defense for once, and they might this year. Um, and then you need Oklahoma and Texas to get their act together. They recruited a top 20 level. They can play defense at a top 20 level. I'm going to so. be totally honest and feed a conspiracy theory. And everyone can love me for this and give me all their sweet, sweet tacos in Big 12 land. All their great, great restaurants. I'm dead serious, Bill. I think part of this is pushed because a large portion of the national voice in college football media still sits in the South and the Northeast. And in those two conferences, that's not the... That's not the style that they play. It's not the, that's not the right. dominant look. And I think you hear a hell of a lot less on the norm from national voices like you and me about, man, SEC offenses suck this year right. than you do about Big 12 defenses being bad because it's, that's just your inclination. A lot of people are going to flip over to a Big 12 game after that CBS SEC game and see <laughs> Oklahoma State and Baylor nodded at 51 and make jokes about it. Whereas they just got done watching South Carolina and Florida uh, elbow each other to death in a 13-10 football game. Right. I, so I do think that there is a little bias involved in the way that we address this. Well, and, and part of that is just our eyes, you know, not necessarily seeing it in the whole picture, like Big 12 offenses being mostly awesome and SEC defenses being mostly awesome. So there's part of that, too. But, no, I mean, I you know, there, there is something to be said. I would love for somebody to actually, like, embark on this study, not it. Uh, to figure out like if it's true or not, because uh, we one of the things we hear is you know Big Twelve everybody recruits Texas and in Texas offense now means uh, you know with spread offenses and all that the offenses are just way ahead of the defenses in Texas high school football therefore it bleeds over yeah that might be true I I, I would love great. to find out yeah, if that was actually true. yeah I think great. a lot of high schools will tell you they're putting their best athletes on offense 
Well, and I mean, this still kind of wears me out too. Cause I mean, it, I, my high school was like four, four a Oklahoma, as opposed to like six a everybody played offense and defense. So I don't really have, like, um, we're going, we're going back through, we're in season five of Friday night lights right now. And, and it was a big deal. Like, Hey, I, I, I play offense instead of defense. Well, no, you're, you're in high school. You play both. But, um, so maybe there's something to that. Maybe the, just the skill level of the offenses are, is ahead of the defense. And, and there you go. There is a recruiting side to this too. And that's that, you know, Oklahoma state Texas or TCU, they recruit at a top 30 level. Baylor has been at times uh, recruiting at the top 30 level. Uh, OU and Texas, you know, if they aren't recruiting at a top five level, if they're only in the top 10 or 15, then that makes a humongous difference for the big 12 as a whole, because then they don't have a single elite recruiter and I I can certainly point to numbers that suggest that recruiting rankings mean more on defense than offense so yeah there's a little bit of a statistical reason why big 12 uh, defenses aren't as good but really the the big thing here is that OU and Texas haven't had their act together and it's been a couple years since TCU or West Virginia or Oklahoma State or whoever kind of had their their act together defensively and that's it I mean they've something like seven big 12 teams have had top 30 defenses in the last three or four years in the, in that conference. Uh, they just didn't last year uh, and they probably, they probably won't this year. Uh, but that's, there, I, I, there doesn't have to be some massive reason for it. It's just timing. The timing hasn't quite been right the last couple of years. No, that's all fair. I, I if you want to push the conspiracy theory against Texas, I'm fine with that. Like what yeah. I suggested, if you're out there and you're listening to this, like it's fun, man. When TCU drubbed Ole Miss in a peach, I was mm-hmm. covering a playoff game. Alabama-Ohio State. Fantastic football game. Okay. I'm getting all of this, and this game is in New Orleans. There's a lot of Ole Miss fans in New Orleans. A lot of people connected to Ole Miss. Whatever. I'm getting text messages. Bo Wallace is out drinking the night before the Peach Bowl. <laughs> Bo Wallace and Denzel Kandici. That's, that's why they played so bad. No. They played to it back because TCU's four two five whooped your ass. Okay, they confused you. They took away your running lanes and in, in a lot of your RPOs. All right, and honestly, their front four kind of out out physicaled you in a lot of ways. They got pressure with four a lot of times and confused the hell out of Wallace whether he was hungover or not. Because the conceit of that offense is that you can be really, really hungover and still do well in it. It's not much of a thinking man. It's, you know, there's not a ton of decision-making going on, okay? So I do think there is something to the fact that we, we tend to shortchange the Big 12 when they do look good on defense. doesn't happen a ton, but and maybe this has something to do with Oklahoma's postseason reputation as well. We tend to build these things over a long period of time, and I think that's where we've arrived at to this point. And you know what? Well, and... and we- Go ahead. When we do that, sorry, when we do that, we then we pounce. It's like a political thing where we pounce on every little shred of evidence that supports it and anything that doesn't support it, we just ignore until there's sure. another piece of data that supports it. Oh, no, I think confirm, confirmation bias exists. I think it existed in sports before it exists in politics. Um, Texas Tech, you know what? They're not good on They're not good on defense. There's a lot of schools that sorry, are not. A lot, a lot sorry, of, man. I mean, there's. A lot of schools that aren't good on defense and other... I mean, Arizona's pretty bad. We can book in the show that way. Arizona's pretty bad on defense last year, too. All right? But you don't you don't get the same meme going. Um, I don't know. Maybe it would... I don't know what it would take, honestly. And I don't know if this, with the very, very successful, completely understandable and respectable style of offense that schools like Oklahoma State run, 
that they're ever going to have, you know, they're ever going to pitch a shutout. I don't think that's going to happen. No, yeah. And that's no, okay. I mean, it, we, we saw what a quote-unquote good Big 12 defense looks like when we with OSU for a couple of years, with Baylor uh, when they were peaking in, what, 2013, I believe, where – where the the defense feeds off of the offense and that, you know, they go for aggression. They go for, they play physical in the secondary. Uh, they try to force three and outs, just enough three and outs and turnovers. They're willing to give up big plays because they know their offense is going to make some too. Uh, but they try to go for those three and outs and turnovers, those aggressive, those breaks of serve, like the old Oregon little touchdown, pick six touchdown combinations that they would unleash on you in like 2010-11. Um like that's that's how you play good defense in the Big Twelve when you don't have top ten recruiting classes, uh, and when you've got the right level of of, of experience, when you can disrupt up front without uh, blitzing, when you've got five, six, seven defensive backs who can play at a high level, you can pull it off. It's just it's really hard to do that every year, I guess. And uh, they they didn't the last couple of years. They still could. I'm painting with a broad brush here, because there were plenty of Brady Hogue jokes around, but when Oregon fell off. And ended up having their coaches fired last year. The, and we can check with Dan Rubensy on this. The the dominant talking point was that Helfrich, post Mariota, couldn't get the right quarterback in there. They couldn't get the offense insane. to do it. Absolutely insane. They never once said, "Hey, a defense." Now they said, "Fans, Oregon fans said this," but on a national level, we did not. Right. We did not frame the conversation about the Ducks last year, and that their defense was a hot bag of ass. 2014, Oregon ranked 39th in defensive S&P Plus and made the national title game. 2015, 94th in defense. 2016, 119th in defense. Yeah, that, that, uh, that offense that still ranked third in 2015, yeah, that was the problem. The offense that fell all the way to 20th last year, yeah, that was a big issue right there. No, it wasn't the defense that ranked 119th. Um, and by the way, every single one of the issues that, that Oregon had on defense in 14 every single one was exposed starting in about the second quarter of the national championship game. Right. Cause they were, it was only a good defense and not a great defense and they were playing a great offense. I mean, that, that was the biggest part of that was just, they weren't necessarily amazing. So, um, and, and I mean, if they'd been, if they had a, an amazing uh, defense, they'd have won. That's great. Uh, they peaked at about, let's see, they had, they were 15th in defense in 09 under Chip Kelly, uh, and, and what's his name, Aliotti. Uh, they were 29th in 2010. They were 33rd in 2011. They never in 23rd in 2012. So that was kind of their level. That was the as good as they could get on defense. When when you've got a top five offense, that that's that'll play. But yeah, it's still hard to beat in Ohio State, which had by the end of 2014 an elite offense and an elite defense. Um, and and so they were only runner national runner up that year as opposed to national champion. God forbid. Um, Here's a question since we were talking about TCU and since I just talked about Ohio State, actually. This is perfect. Uh, Ross Cunningham, this is back from right before you went on leave. Okay. Uh, he emailed us. Bill and Godfrey, this week it was announced that TCU and Ohio State's home-and-home home series for 2018 and 19 uh, would be scrapped for a single game at Jerry World. Much to Boo! this much to this dismay of fans and season ticket holders at TCU and I assume Ohio State as well. Uh, the reason is very obvious why a $5 million payout for each team, as well as claims of a quote unquote bigger stage to play on. Although being scheduled as week three games between two good teams, I assume the matchups would already be on a major station slash primetime anyway. 
This has left TCU fans upset who now have to pay for an extra game, not part of the season package. And Ohio State fans probably aren't happy that TCU will be replaced by Miami of Ohio, uh, giving the Buckeyes a very little, a very little sisters of the poor schedule that year that features no P5 opponents out of conference. So I guess my question to all of this is, despite the fact that this benefits the schools in the short run, does this hurt college football to some extent as yes. well, at least at least from a watchability standpoint? Because as a TV viewer, I would much rather watch this home-and-home home series than some sterile atmosphere. Hey, at a hurt, giant NFL I'm not even going to let you finish the question. It, it hurts more than just television viewers. It hurts the fans that go to these games. It hurts the people in Columbus. It hurts the local businesses in Columbus that work specifically and make their – they get in the black every year, bars, restaurants, stores, hotels, motels, whatever. They get in the black every year because of Ohio State football. Same goes for any number of places in Fort Worth. I know that Fort Worth is a big place and it's in the metroplex, but it, when you talk about college businesses, college communities, which is what schools like TCU promote, like this sucks. It sucks. It's awful. The environment's bad. Putting a game in Jerry World makes no sense whatsoever. I understand if it's a playoff game or a national championship or some bowl. I'd rather the Cotton Bowl be played in the Cotton Bowl. But and I'm, I'm not naive. I understand why these things happen. But, no, this sucks. This is awful. I don't even like the fact that A&M and Arkansas play in Jerry World. And they play every they, year. They, That's so stupid. I mean, they'll, they'll, if there's a big crowd there. I mean, I think there are worse places or better examples of sterility than uh, Jerry World. It's pretty sterile, Bill. Have you been there? <laughs> No, no. Having covered um, the 2014 national championship there and a couple other games, like it is as anonymous a function of of okay. pro football's success as it gets. Yeah, it's a beautiful stadium to walk around in, and you can get like a great meal for twenty nine dollars, and you know a beer for thirty, <laughs> and whatever, and like it's awesome, and they have holograms, and but like you're in a parking lot in Arlington, and I've been to, I've covered games in Columbus. It is one of the best college football stadiums in America. Yeah. I have been inside of Ammon Carter, not during a game. I got a tour, but it's a beautiful, beautiful, like the limestone. It's a cool looking building. Uh, their fans get into it. Like what a great success story of realignment TCU is. Bring that game to Fort Worth. Hey! Bill, just get rid of the phone line. This hadn't happened for Just for get rid of the phone line and join 2017. If we get rid of the phone line, we have to pay an extra $20 a month. That's why we have the phone line. Do you want me to, I don't know do how you to turn me? off the ringer from the base. This is like the base down here, and I have no idea how to turn it off. Sounds like our next GoFundMe campaign. Um, I don't understand this. I understand the $5 million stuff, but I do feel right, like I understand the, it. the schools are shortchanging themselves. In, in, it's not worth the payout to me. And it was, right. One thing I don't understand is the television should be a little confused. So right off the top of my head... This game is going to be what you said, week three. The Big Ten's primary rights have now gone to Fox. They are they have paid more than ESPN, so like the Big Ten splits its inventory, but they get first seat at the table when it comes to picking games. All right, so let, and same goes for the Big Twelve. They have uh, the lion's share of their content is now run by Fox. If you're Fox, you just lost a game. You just yeah. lost a good game. Yeah, you got one. I guess premier event game because it's in an NFL stadium. Although I'm sure stupid Fox would think that way since they're all dumb NFL LA people. Uh, you, instead of having a return game the following year in Fort Worth or Columbus and being able to build it into like the first thing that comes to mind is the way ESPN treated the, the Texas Ohio State games right. when both of those teams are national title contenders. This is bad for the network. This is bad for the conferences. 
Yeah. Also, yeah, it was, it also like... wait, back up. This is me being a little rusty, and I'm serious. We, we got to end the show soon, but this is worth. Actually, this is worth a phone call to Jim Delaney. Jim Delaney has already said that they know they, they won't have they won't approve neutral sites if it's if it's outside the footprint of the Big Ten unless there's a return engagement. And what I mean by that is like when Wisconsin played LSU, they had to set up the Green Bay game to go along with the Houston game. So I'm a little curious that this got approved. Jim Delaney has said specifically that they want to develop and encourage, and they're mandating that schools create the same the same game within the footprint of like putting a game at Soldier Field or putting a game in Indianapolis. If you're Ohio State, that would mean, I don't know, going to Cincinnati or going to Cleveland, I guess, but I'm shocked that this got through. <laughs> um, God, yeah, it pisses I, I, me I, off I, to no end. Yeah, so it looks like this will be a week three game in 2018 as opposed to, I guess, week three in 2018 and 19. But, yeah, I mean, just yeah, pure, pure math there. Like, you, you now get two, one good game instead of two. Um, and, man, like, yeah, there's nothing nothing cooler than, like, a TCU-level school. We'll say they're kind of second tier with a ton of, of power of the Power Five conferences. Not, not Clearly good, but not a blue blood. Um, when a blue blood comes to your house, especially in non-conference where it's not it's something that's guaranteed to happen every year or every other year, um, that is, there is a buzz to that. It is so cool when you've got an outside, a, a blue blood outside of your conference. Hey, look, Ohio State's running through our, our, you know, our visitors gates right now coming onto the field and Ohio State's fans are cheering in the corner. This is Ohio State. This is, this is a big deal. Um, and, and yeah, now you're basically playing a bowl game on September 15th. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just not the same. And I, I get it. I mean, sucks. it's not like we don't understand why it happens. It just sucks. Um, is that it? Are we, are, are we, are we wrapping up here? Cause I got more questions, but we're at like an hour, 10, hour 15. One more. I don't know where you at. One more. One okay. More. Um, let's try. <laughs> All right. Uh, our friend Ben Claflin, Claflin or Claflin. I'm not completely sure. Um, on email, your show is, hi guys, your show is great. Keep doing what you do, yada, yada, yada. On a business trip this week, I had the opportunity to chat with Rolando Cantu, the first Mexican-born non-kicker in the NFL. He's now the head of international business ventures and the Spanish-language color commentator for the Arizona Cardinals. He's a proud graduate of our boys at Monterey Tech. Uh, if you, if only you guys had talked about Monterey Tech potentially joining the Pac-12 last week, this was... From a while ago, too. Okay. Uh, anyway, his current role and your discussion of Mexican universities joining American college football got me thinking. Every week during the season, I see games tagged uh, on Espanol, uh, on Watch ESPN, and major games are often broadcast on ESPN networks in Spanish. This implies to me that there is a healthy interest in college football among the 41-plus million Spanish speakers in the United States. I know the NFL is broadcast worldwide, but is American college football already being uh, consumed in Mexico. If not, what kind of impact do you think opening the door to Mexican universities could have on the game? Obviously, there's a huge audience in Mexico, 167 million people, uh, and Mexican teams joining the college football or joining college football would most likely increase Mexican-American audience, mm-hmm. but it would clearly come with a host of challenges. Uh, let me know what you think. Full disclosure, I am an analyst for a major uh, Spanish language media company, though my question is purely for my own curiosity. Then pay Here's us a consulting that. fee. Um, <laughs> the uh, short answer is kind of. Um, when you go abroad, 
ESPN exists in a lot of other nations, but the content is very different, and they sort of have to, they kind of curate it by their, they project out against the audience of whatever country you're in. So what I mean by that is in places like Spain, the basketball, they're, they're going to show significantly more basketball than they are football of whatever that they have the rights to. And then also sometimes they have the rights to things internationally that they don't have domestically. College football exists in a small way in certain foreign countries. I don't know specifically what their what their broadcast schedule looks like in Mexico. I could probably find out. Um, it's funny, I haven't talked to ESPN PR in a while because they've had a month. Um, I know that I'm trying to think of all the places I've been internationally and watched ESPN. Um, in Europe, they tend to only show NFL. Yeah. Um, I want to say that they do in certain Caribbean nations as well. They show a lot of American football there. Um, it just kind of depends on where you're at. Uh, most of what you see with the in Espanol is just it's 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 Spanish announced teams for American broadcast of the same American. So all the same rights and and agreements apply to that broadcast. It's just as a, think of it as like um, closed captioning. It's the same American broadcast with the same rights agreements attached to it. But, um, I mean, one of the things that can save ESPN, I don't think they're going to die or anything, but one of the things that can help broadcast entities in general is taking these American sports that they pay so much for domestically and turning them into leverage internationally. And just because something airs internationally doesn't mean it's making a ton of money. Networks need inventory and they buy things at different rates. So, I don't know. I think it's it's not as... Um, I don't think it's a one-to-one comparison to, like, NBC landing the rights to the Premiership and Fox paying a bunch of money for the Champions League, but it could be in time. I know that the NFL right when the next time the NFL rights go up in England specifically, though, they will get a, a good chunk of money for them. Um, whatever that competition is called, the American Football World Cup or whatever it is, um, pretty sure Mexico, like, destroyed America last year, if I remember right. What did America uh, feel? Was it... Was it college players or? It's like former college sort of all stars, okay. if I remember right. Uh, not, not clearly not a, a like very guys good guys who didn't get invited to the Senior Bowl or. <laughs> Quite, I think Cody Hawkins was involved for a while. Let's put it that way. Um, if that that I think that that informs the level pretty good. I mean, maybe it wasn't the World Cup. It was some competition last year. I saw. Um, you know, on Twitter, something to the effect of Mexico destroying uh, the United States in a game of of American football, more or less. Now, this clearly wasn't the U.S.'s best team, et cetera, et cetera. But they, Mexico is one of like it's like Mexico and Japan, basically the only the the other teams that actually field decent, semi competitive teams in this competition. Um, and that's you know, I. I, I, I'm all for creativity and I'm all for emerging markets and therefore yeah. uh, let's friggin' move in. I mean, even if even, like somebody pointed out to us last time uh, when we were talking about Monterey tech, somebody pointed out to us that like a pretty good D three school handled Monterey tech pretty easily. Um, the well, response yeah, no, is, I mean, no one's saying, you know, one saying this thing happens tomorrow, but this, right. I think people have no patience. It's you got to start somewhere. But anyway, so it was the World University American Football Championship. Uh, yeah, and in 2016, Mexico destroyed uh, the United States in the finals, uh, 35 to seven. 
and uh, won the World University of American Football Championship. So again, that's I'm not pretending that that's anything more than it is, but regardless, they do seem to care, and they do seem to have at least a tiny talent base for this kind of thing. Uh, by the way, in the World University of American Football Championships of 2016, India was supposed to be there, but did not attend due to visa issues. <laughs> so... Wait, wait. <laughs> Oh, so they, they had to forfeit, and, and Mexico went 4-0, and United States went 3-1, and Japan went 2-2, two and two, China went 1-3, and three, and Guatemala went 0-4, oh outscored 199 to nothing. So uh, Guatemala is not there yet. Guatemala Tech is not qu- going to quite be a, a Pac-12 candidate, but no, I, I love it. I, I, this is where my brain always goes, and I, and I would encourage teams to, or encourage conferences or whatever, I, I would encourage some sort of collaboration uh, you know, before that wall goes up, anyway. I think that's a good comeback uh, podcast for me. I think we're, I think we're solid. All right. All right. Yeah, we were. You were, you were worried, as always. We did not hurt for uh, for topics, so I feel good. I feel good. All right, Bill. Um, we'll get back in the rigmarole next week. You can follow me at thirty eight Godfrey. You can follow Bill at sbn underscore Bill C. Uh, we're gonna do it again next week. We're back in the saddle, my man. By God.